Hello, and welcome to Breakfast for Dinner with Sarah the Human. I'm Sarah the Human, and this is the Uncomfy Questions episode. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine. Her name is Katie Magnus. Katie and I actually grew up together in Little Rock, Arkansas. We were both homeschooled for most of our lives. She was homeschooled her whole life, K through 12th grade, and I was homeschooled for eight out of 12 grades, I guess 13 grades if you count kindergarten. And we really got reconnected over Instagram because we actually realized we had similar stories of growing up in a you know pretty conservative environment and then moving to big cities that were very liberal environments and then just going through a total change of beliefs. You know, I wanted to start with this one um, because even though we're not necessarily talking about a specific topic that we're dissecting or anything, I mean, we do talk about Christianity a little bit and Plexus, but I wanted to just kind of kick it off with giving ourselves permission to disagree with ourselves. Um, And I think that's why asking uncomfy questions is so difficult because it's like, if we get to a different conclusion than we were at before, it means that we have to disagree with ourselves and kind of admit that, ooh, you know, I swapped this way of thinking for a more beautiful way of thinking. But that's just part of the journey. That's just part of life. Um, We were constantly evolving. Um, And I think, you know, giving ourselves so much grace and so much love always. So one thing I wanted to point out is that there's a little bit of static at the beginning of the episode. Um, It does get better as the episode goes on. The audio quality is a work in progress for me. I promise it will get better as I go on. I'm just someone who likes to throw myself into creative endeavors and figure it out as I go. So unfortunately, this, this episode and like maybe the first few other ones, the sound quality might not be fantastic, but I actually, I got Um, a bunch of sound treatment panels from Amazon. So I'm sitting in a closet right now where all of the walls are covered in these sound panels. So it looks kind of legit in here, except for the fact that there's literally brooms and mops in this closet with me. I have like the Swiffer as my buddy. It does still look very DIY. It looks kind of silly. Anyway, Katie Magnus is someone that I really look up to and she's inspiring to me because not only did she take a big leap of faith and move from Little Rock where she'd been her whole life to Washington, D.C., giant change. Um, She lived in D.C., I actually don't know how many years, but enough time for D.C. to become a new home. And then she actually just recently moved back to Arkansas, to Fayetteville. And it takes a lot of strength and really just leading with your heart to make that type of decision. Really, both decisions. One, you know, following this call to go somewhere big and new and exciting. And then also trusting your intuition to follow the call to go back to a more calm and spacious state that's full of nature and sunsets and stars. (laughs) I told someone the other day that I literally forget that there are stars, which is really sad um, because you just can't really see them in LA. Anywho, enough of me rambling. Please enjoy Katie Magnus. I'm so excited we're doing this. Me too. Thank you so much for being one of my first ever guests. Of course, I'm honored. 
I just can't believe that we're doing this because we've basically known each other our whole lives. I mean, I can't really remember when we first crossed paths, but it had to have been at least middle school. Yeah. One of those like, oh, we've just always kind of known each other. I don't really know when it first started. Yeah. It must have been obviously homeschool. We have that in common. Were you homeschooled kindergarten through senior year? I was. I never really wanted to not homeschool. Like I really liked it. Probably my uh, early introverting roots. Like I was just very comfortable with homeschooling. Um, And yeah, I never even thought about it being weird or not normal. I mean, not that it's weird, but you know, we grew up in homeschooling being very much the norm. So I never even questioned that there were people who would not want to be homeschooled. (laughs) Totally. I know. It was like, it seems so weird to be homeschooled, I guess. But at the time, it felt pretty cool. Like there was a cool crowd. It was almost like just a regular school where there were almost stereotypes within all of the homeschoolers. There's like homeschooled, like you don't leave your house and you are literally at home all the time. And then there's like the homeschooled that we were, where I'm like, we basically just kind of created our own version of school. I'm like, I had friends. I played sports. We like had it. I feel like we just kind of made a private school or something of our our own, basically. (laughs) Yeah, we did. And we had homeschool prom and winter formal. Did you play on, did you play, you played volleyball? Yeah, I did. I Never played. Oh, I did play upwards basketball for a small time as a child. <laughs> but um, but yeah, other than upwards, I was <laughs> volleyball all the way through. And that was basically my identity was just volleyball player. Upwards does not count. Upwards does <laughs> I, not count. <laughs> I did upwards. And I remember thinking I was like a pro basketball player yes. because the people who do upwards are like not with sports people. Mm-hmm. So I was always the best one at upwards, but that didn't mean anything. <laughs> I was like six years old. And yeah, that didn't really mean anything. And then I got to play like on a real ish basketball team Mm -hmm. and realized, oh, I'm just very average. I'm like probably below average. So it was, it was kind of misleading. Well, I was the one who was getting most Christ-like awards and best effort at Upwards. (laughs) They were like, Katie, be more aggressive. So my parents were like, let's go with volleyball where you don't have to be like person on person contact. But like so many white and blue stars for uh, most Christ-like over here. I forgot about most Christ-like award. Yes. After every game, it's all coming back to me. After every game, player would get a star. It was like best offense, best defense. And then one of them was most Christ-like. And that literally was just participation award, which is hilarious. It is so funny because getting most Christ-like, it instantly made me feel terrible. I was like, damn it. I didn't do a good job. You know, I didn't have a single red star that was best offense never had a red star <laughs> so anyway I retired from basketball after my mini career and upwards and I never thought about basketball again so oh that's hilarious did you do Awana oh yes I was on the quiz team for Awana I got best quizzer one year oh yes <laughs> How old, like, does it go to sixth grade? How old does it go? Yeah, that sounds right. Because I think you like graduate from Awana before you go into youth group. So I think sixth grade. And I want to say it was like fifth and sixth when I got into the quizzing 
I don't even remember what it was called, but like we literally had practice on like Sunday afternoons and it was like, you got to hit a buzzer, then you got to save the verse. <laughs> it was so intense. Um, but yeah, I did Awana from like Cubbies, which I think is three years old, all the way up to uh, whatever is sixth grade. I can't remember even what it's called now. Do you remember a lot of the verses still? I feel like I remember a lot of the like main ones that like... I feel like most people learn as at like a young age, but like when I think about it, I'm like, that was a lot of years of Bible verse memory. And I definitely don't remember them all. And the older you got, the more it was like longer passages. And I like, I definitely don't remember all of those, but for sure. Yeah. It's so fascinating what we remember and what we don't like there's, there'll be a song from when I was 10 years old that I'll remember every single word to. And then there's something like a Bible verse that I actually took the time to sit down and memorize when I was a kid and now totally don't remember. Yeah. I think I could almost like remember the Awana like pledge more than some of the verses, like, cause you had to like pledge allegiance to like the American flag at the like ceremony in the beginning and then pledge allegiance to the Awana flag, which I did think about the other day. And I'm like, that is weird. That is so weird. Nationalism may be at its finest to be pledge of allegiance and then pledging to whatever the Awana pledge was, but something about boys and girls. That is some brainwashing. It's like Jesus in America association right when we're three. It's a weird combo and again like back to like the homeschooling thing it's a thing that I never thought was weird because I was doing it from such a young age but then I don't know you know you lay in bed at night and you just think random things come to your mind and I bet it was a week ago that Omoana came to mind and I was like how strange that we were pledging allegiance to those two things together and I don't even know the origins of Omoana I'm like I don't know where it started I don't know if it's tied to a certain denomination I have no idea but I knew that pledge. I don't know either. So when you graduated from homeschool Mm -hmm. (laughs) your senior year, where did you go to college? I went to Arkansas Tech. So I was only like an hour from home. Okay. So still in Arkansas. And then from there, immediately after you graduated Arkansas from Arkansas Tech, did you go to Washington, DC? Yeah. I um, lived for a summer in Arkansas after college, lived with my grandparents the summer with them and then I moved I had no job an unpaid internship on the hill lined up knew a couple people there uh yeah I think about it all the time and I'm like I still don't even know how I like did it I think it was that graduating like fierce independence I'm gonna do something nobody thinks that I would do kind of thing and I'm like man that's a powerful force because it was very unlike me to go somewhere that like I'd only been once and barely knew anyone and I didn't like have really anything figured out but yeah I flew there with two suitcases and I like rode up the metro station and I got to the block where my apartment was and I was like holy cow what have I done (laughs) you have a roommate oh yes yes this is a great thing about moving to DC when uh uh, you're all doing unpaid internships. Three of us lived in a 400 square foot studio, literally two twin beds and a couch. Oh my God. <laughs> we were talking the other day about how our kitchen, like our uh, oven was so small that like you had to put your baking sheet in like vertically instead of horizontally, and then just kind of hold the door shut because it didn't shut all the way. <laughs> like it was the tiniest apartment, but that is what you do when 
you don't really have a lot of income. You just live three to a studio apartment. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So the timeline of you moving to DC, I think you moved maybe a couple years, maybe two years before I moved to LA. So yeah. we were on, you were a little bit ahead of me on moving to a big city, but then we were on similar trajectories of unlearning our super extreme conservativeness and mm-hmm. moving into more liberal open mindset. Um, so how did that happen for you? Like, how would you describe that process in DC? Was it like an aha moment and a lot of things clicked or was it like a slow fade into that? Definitely would say it leaned more towards a slow fade. I mean, for one, I, well, and I don't know if this was your experience too, but like, I definitely didn't go into it. Like I'm letting go of all these things and I'm going to deconstruct your faith. Like definitely did not have that thought process, but I mean, realistically, like there are all kinds of kinds in DC and people are there from all different places, all different backgrounds. And so just by nature, I was exposed to like a ton of different religions, a ton of different people from all different places with different worldviews. And it wasn't even something that I was like consciously aware was happening more. So it was like, I mean, I don't know, maybe even like five years down the road where I was like, huh. I have more friends that are not white than that are white. (laughs) And like, I know more people who are liberal than are not liberal. Like it was like, all of a sudden, I just sort of looked around me and was like, this is not the same circle of people that I was once surrounded by, but it was not by any means like intentional. It's just, I met nice people and they happen to be also those other things. <laughs> totally. Yeah. For me, I actually was intentionally going in not wanting to change at all. And I think it was because almost everyone around me, when they heard I was moving to California, they all were saying like, oh, you're going to be liberal. Like you're going to, they're going to turn you, you're going to, you know, move with the culture and all this stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be the one person that stands true to what I believe and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I was, I was putting up so many walls and so much resistance at first. And then finally it was like, oh my gosh, okay, hold on. (laughs) There were so many things that I was told that just were not making sense and I could not ignore it anymore. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. So after that, it was just the ball kept rolling with like probably 10 other things back to back to back to back. Yeah, I definitely had that experience of a lot of people saying to me, like, oh, you're moving to DC, like those liberal blah, blah, blahs are gonna, <laughs> they're gonna brainwash you. And I was like, absolutely not. And like, from a political standpoint, honestly, I was kind of that person who always said, like, I don't care about politics, which is ironic, because my dad was a state representative in Arkansas when I was young and, but like, I was young enough that I wasn't really into it at that point beyond like the fun things that came with him being a politician. But yeah, I just never really cared about anything from the political standpoint, but I cared about everything as it related to church. And like, I was that girl in youth group who was like on the worship team. Like if there was any kind of leadership position, I was trying to be in it. And, and I don't regret that by any means, but it was just interesting that like going into DC and people were saying like how much it was going to change me. And I was like, there's no way that like, 
and then of course they meant it in a bad way. Like most of, and these are right, like, right. not even people close to me per se, although there were people close to me saying that, but there were a lot of people that were like acquaintances or like, I worked at a physical therapy clinic at the time. So it was just like a point, you know, a topic when I was like setting people up on their next thing or whatever. And that, I mean, just everybody warned me about those liberals. And now I'm like, here we are. I am what? Well, you know what? They were all exactly right. The only difference is it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I would have thought at that time it would be the worst thing that could ever happen to me. At first, it was actually so hard. I mean, I was really kind of bogged down with uh, everyone thinks that I'm totally lost now. Everyone thinks that I'm just absolutely insane, honestly. And that took up a lot of my headspace. That was hard for me to have such a dramatic change and know that all of a sudden, almost everyone I grew up around immediately does not approve of me anymore. And that took a toll on me. Um, And right now I feel like I'm in such a good place where I'm just, I've let go so, so so much. Um, But was that difficult for you? Was that a struggle for you at all? Yes. (laughs) I am, I'm oldest child, Enneagram one, perfectionist, like every stereotype about any of those things, I am it. I'm very like people pleaser vibes. Um, And I found myself for a long time. I mean, honestly, still, although less so, I'm 31 now. And I think when like I turned 30, it was like the next morning. I always joke that like you turn 30 and you have no more Fs to give. Like, it's just like, I just don't have time to care. I just want to live my life. And like, I can't, I can't be worried about what you think about me, but for a really long time and every now and then still, I find myself feeling like I need to like over explain, like, here's why, like my faith and my politics can intersect in a way that you don't think like, here's why I think that X, Y, and Z. And it's not even like I question my political stance or my faith or whatever, but I do feel like I need to explain it sometimes. And it's mostly with the people who I grew up around who I'm like, I just don't want them to think less of me because I don't believe like they believe anymore. And I always think that like the only way that I came to the position that I came to and like the beliefs that I have are because I experienced something that was like different from where I grew up. If I had stayed here and here being Arkansas, because I'm back here, (laughs) if I had stayed in Arkansas and never left, I have no idea if things would have evolved the way that they did because so much of my evolution has been from like experiencing different people and different things. Um, That just led me to a place where I was like, I can't not evolve in how I think and what I believe. So I don't know, even I think sometimes my like defensiveness is almost like a defense of the experiences that I've had and the people that I know because people, me feeling like, that like love for me is conditional upon me believing what I used to believe feels like somehow there's a connection to those people and experiences that I now love. And I'm like, but I am the way I am because of those people that I know. So it feels personal. And it also feels like personal in an extension, like by way of those people. And then I'm like, "Mm, I I have to defend this. So 
Lots of wrestling. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, we were raised in a very, an extreme environment. I mean, it wasn't just classic. It wasn't just kind of conservative. I mean, it was extreme conservative. And then we both moved into extreme liberal. Like we were in both extremes. And I think it's such a unique experience to have both voices in our heads at the same time. And it, and I love it now so much. Like it took me a while to accept and be thankful for my upbringing, but right. But now I'm just so thankful to have come from the polar opposite environment that I'm in in LA and LA is an environment that I resonate with way more. But I just love like having that background to go back on because I like how, even though having to explain ourselves, is not ideal and I I almost never want to have to explain myself but then it's almost like extending someone a little olive branch of saying like hey come along with me come along this journey with me instead of this oh that's wrong and I'm right and and it's more like inviting to have people come along the ride with you yeah I agree and I think too, like as far as like having both voices in your head and like both perspectives, I don't know. I think a lot of times from a political standpoint, at least it's so polarizing because everybody obviously sees things through like their lens and their experiences. And I think there are a ton of people who have not jumped from one extreme to another because I don't think a lot of people intentionally do that, you know? So I think on both sides, you have people who have always been surrounded by people who are super liberal or super conservative and, or they've always lived in a city or they've always lived in a rural area. And so you can't fathom why somebody would believe what they believe. And even like being back in Arkansas, it's just reminded me a lot of like certain things that are important to people here are important to people here because it affects their life in a way that like people in the city could never comprehend why that thing even matters. So I think like living in both places and experiencing both things has given me empathy for both sides on a lot of subjects. I still believe what I believe. (laughs) Like I still think certain things are like wrong or like fully disagree with somebody. But even as somebody who like, I have family members that I'm super close to love dearly and we are polar opposites on many things. And like, we sit down and have discussions and we never really come to like an agreement. Like they're never going to convince me and I'm never going to convince them. But I'm like, well, at least you heard me out and I heard you out. And like, we can kind of like understand each other's point of view, even if we don't agree with it. And I always think that like, I don't know, I sort of feel like it's like my superpower, not because I'm like so great at those conversations, but just because I can at least put myself in both sets of shoes, essentially. For sure, which I love um, these days with podcasts and all these TV shows. I mean, we have access to all different points of views. So it's just a matter of diversifying what you're listening to, what you're watching, um, what you're, who you're following on Instagram. I'm obsessed with um, Armchair Expert. That's my favorite podcast with Dak Shepard. And I've been listening to it for probably two years now. And I was thinking, okay, I have got to start listening to other podcasts. Like I really need to diversify the podcast I'm listening to because I am just getting fed the same two perspectives. Dax and Monica, love them both. 
Um, and I'm, I'm pretty aligned with them. And I think that that's something to notice is <laughs> I'm extremely aligned with almost every word they say, not, right. not everywhere, especially dags, <laughs> but, um, so, but it's like, okay, maybe it's time to switch it up and go somewhere else now. Yes. Um, that's another thing I've given a lot of thought to and had a, I don't know, I guess I've wrestled with it a lot is that in the same way that I grew up kind of in a bubble on one side of things, I like don't want to put myself in a bubble on the other side and not like be immersed in varying perspectives. But it is also hard, I think, especially when you're in um, like a deconstructing journey. And I know that that's a word that people have a lot of feelings around, but when you're in a deconstructing journey of whatever kind, I think there becomes some sort of instinct not to necessarily run from everything that you're, you know, where you came from, but to explore other spaces. And so then I think you can easily like swing to the other side of things. Um, but it's also hard because I'm like, I don't know what perspectives I can almost even like tolerate like it's hard to find I guess like middle ground because I'm like not trying to go to an extreme you know in either direction per se but um I don't know maybe it just feels like the loudest voices are the extreme voices and there's not a lot of middle ground out there yeah how do we because on a deconstruction journey for me what was so helpful was honestly listening to just just people who were also deconstructing and people who were also on the same journey and their words were like lubricant to my soul i mean it was like exactly what i needed was so healing for me to just hear a fresh perspective because i think we had the other perspectives just drilled in our head we don't really need to hear that anymore um but hearing someone who especially had kind of come from similar upbringing um say something totally fresh and new it was like wow that gives me so much freedom that is so empowering to me um so definitely seasons right like there's seasons for staying in your lane and just growing and listening to whatever you feel whatever makes you feel good even if, if you disagree with all of it great <laughs> but um then sometimes maybe it's time for a challenge and maybe it's time to entertain other other ones yeah i think one thing that i have like learned a lot again, like in a very unintentional way, like I was not searching for this, but I felt a lot when I was growing up that like questions were the enemy and like curiosity was the enemy. And I don't know, I don't like blame my parents for that because I don't ever remember my parents telling me like, don't ask questions. Um, But I do remember feeling for whatever reason, like, exploring other beliefs in whatever way. I mean, even just like other sections of Christianity, like other denominations (laughs) still within Christianity, like it was like, there was a lot of fear around that. Um, And I don't know if it was internalized. I don't know where that fear came from, if it was being fed to me or if I was just like subtly picking up on it, which is kind of more what I anticipate it was. But I don't know. I feel like I just wasn't like questions equaled doubt and doubt equaled not a good thing. <laughs> and so like my deconstruction journey wasn't one of like trying to get rid of what I grew up with. It was just finally feeling like I have questions and I'm going to explore them. So like when you say that 
seeing like other people who grew up in a similar background, like asking those questions and exploring things. That was for me such a huge thing. Cause I was like, I finally feel the freedom to like, I can ask these questions and I might end up exactly where I started. And then great. I figured that out for myself. I just happened to not end up <laughs> exactly where I started after asking a lot of questions. So yeah, I feel like that was like a big part of it for me. Yes, me too. And I think once I started asking questions, the questions just kept coming and it was terrifying. I mean, I think the biggest question for me that really just undid a can of worms was questioning the existence of hell or and even questioning what that looks like. I mean, I had a very literal view of hell that it was literally demons and fire. And yeah. I think that's a really intense belief to never, ever second guess and never question. And so just thinking about that and being like, all right. And, and that was another one where not only did I believe in a physical hell like that, I believe that anyone who wasn't a Christian was going to go there. And so part of my deconstruction was befriending people in other religions. Like one of my best friends, she was a Buddhist. She is a Buddhist. And she's like one of the most amazing, joyful, incredible people I know. And that was so confusing for me (laughs) because... I was like, wait, someone isn't supposed to be full of joy and peace and love if they're not Christians. They're supposed to be feeling empty. And this person was feeling just super full of life, super great. And uh, so getting like a front row look into her life really changed me. And it made me, it made me question, gosh, I just don't know. Like if there's a God, if he would, like, why would he not send me to hell and send her? That just makes no freaking sense. And there were just so many things. And, and then I think what's funny about it too is if we can just question things and come right back, there's really nothing to be afraid of right? at all because we can just ask a question and come right back. But I think what's scary about it is almost like a, a deep knowing inside of us that almost knows if we do just ask this question and follow it, we will most likely end up in a different place. And I think that's what is scary about those questions and why so many people, you know, might not ever ask them. Yeah, I, um, I think that a lot when I think about my upbringing a lot and again, not saying anybody put this on me, but my understanding of my faith growing up was a lot of it was rooted in fear. And I always think of like the, like lack feeling like I couldn't ask questions, feeling like I couldn't be curious or whatever was a fear-based thing because what if you do ask those questions and you land somewhere else? And for one, I've always been of the belief, like regardless that like asking question, like I will end up where I'm supposed to be. Even like when I felt like I couldn't ask questions, I, my confusion around that growing up was like, well, why can't we ask the questions? if this is what we believe so deeply is correct. So like, even that was like confusing to me. And that always made me think, so then like, why, what is the problem with asking questions? But I always say now, like, because I still consider myself a Christian, it 
looks very different than it did when I was growing up. And I feel like now at 31 years old, having been a professing Christian since I was 10 years old, I have so many more questions that are unanswered than I do answers. And I always see that as like growth within my faith because I'm like, I, I think that's the point of faith. It's interesting because I think I went from like questions and curiosity are not allowed to the more questions I have, the stronger and deeper my faith is because that is what faith is, is not knowing. And I feel like I have seen a lot of role models that I have followed over the years who have kind of led me to be comfortable with those questions and with the lack of answers. (laughs) And I don't know, there's something kind of reassuring and feeling like I don't have to know it all and I don't have to explain it all because I can't explain it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that was the biggest transition for me was going from feeling like I had all of the answers and that was really comforting. I loved Mm -hmm. that. I mean, I, I felt like I knew exactly what was going to happen to me after I died and everyone else around me. I knew their fate. I knew, I just knew all these things. And then taking a step back and kind of figuring out okay, hold on. What do I want to keep? What do I want to put back? Yeah. Most of it is just up in the air at this point. Honestly, right. like, I don't know what happens after I die. I have a guess. I, I think it's something good. I think it's something good for everyone. That's my guess. It's a total guess. And I know, and that's it. And so basically almost all of it transitioned into, I don't knows, and right. I'm okay with that. And, but it took me a really long time to be okay with that because once I started to let go of a lot of beliefs, like it was like, I wanted a new belief. I wanted a new thing to replace it, a new tangible belief. And it was like, no, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. And Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of encouraging everyone to like ask those questions, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think there is some power in I don't knows because I think there's a lot of pressure in feeling like you have to know it all and feeling like you have to have all the answers. It is certainly more comfortable to like, say, I believe X, Y, and Z, and I'm not exploring anything else. Because if you say you believe, and I'm not saying that like people who say they believe that don't question, like don't actually believe it. But I know for me, that certainly felt like it was going to be the more comfortable route. It is extremely uncomfortable for me to be like, yeah, I don't know where I stand on that thing, or I don't know fully what I believe about that thing. But I would also rather say I don't know and feel like I have room to explore it than just kind of keep like shoving it down and pretend that I have the answers or to accept a faith that I was handed as my own when it's not actually my own. Like if I'm going to have the same faith that I was taught growing up, cool. But I want to have come to it on my own or for it to be mine and not be something that somebody handed me. And then I just memorized it, accepted it and have no actual conviction of it myself. Yeah. It's been hard to come to terms with. Um, and I've especially had a really hard time with like still identifying as a Christian in so many like core pieces of my faith and who I am, but it looks so different that I think a lot of the Christians that I grew up around don't see me in the same way, would probably consider me like lost, 
um, lost being such a Christian word that we grew up with, you know, and like, that's a really hard thing. Cause I always feel like I kind of am like homeless spiritually. Like I I'm like, well, I'm like too Christian for not Christians, but I'm not Christian enough for so many of Christians today. Um, wow. And so it's just a really weird place to be. I just, and I think that goes back to a lot of my like feeling like I need to explain myself is because to say you're Christian, but then not believe certain things that like the like conservative Christian world might believe it's like, well, how could you not believe that? Or even how could you be a Christian and be a liberal? That's a big question in the South. And I'm like, do I have to go point by point and like, I don't know. I can't point you to every Bible verse, but I know that I, I have a relationship with a higher power of some sort. I don't know what gender they are. I don't know all the details of like, I have so many questions, but I know that I feel like a higher power that I feel a connection to. And I talk to, and I listen for like stirrings or signs in the universe. And like, I feel like I am led by that. And I do not have a dissertation to explain every point of all of my beliefs. I don't know. That's been like the hardest part for me to like grow up in Christianity, leave, explore, and come back to a Christianity that doesn't look like mainstream conservative Christian nationalism situation we have going on. Oh, it's confusing. Yeah, the language trips everybody up, right? Like the the word Christian, it just could mean any freaking thing. I mean, you explaining it boiling down to your relationship with higher power, whether you want to call that God or the universe or whatever name. That's something that I totally relate to. And I just choose not to call it Christian. It's like so many people are connecting to the same source and just calling it totally different things. And I think it's so important to have these conversations because it kind of bring every, it brings everybody together of, Hey, we're all honestly in a way talking about the same thing what that's so funny though i'm not funny i mean that's that's really difficult to to go back to an environment that's primarily conservative christian when now you're like more liberal christian Mm -hmm. because that was my main struggle when i moved to la because i was raised like everyone around me would say in arkansas that jesus would vote republican Mm -hmm. a true christian is a republican and then when i moved to la what confused me was not that there's all these liberal people and all these democrats i knew that going in of course but what confused me was that so many christians were democrats and liberals and i was like wait what? And then I got to <laughs> I got to know all of them and they were literally saying I don't think a true Christian could be a Republican. So then my mind was really exploding yeah. because I was like, wait a second, what is a true Christian? I literally do not know. Is it a Republican or is it a Democrat? I really don't know. And so that kind of spurred on a journey for me personally to figure out, all right, what do I think about all this for my actual self? And basically what I came to was there's an argument in the Bible for both sides. 
And however anyone wants to interpret the Bible to support whatever belief system they have, they can find a fucking verse. Like you yep. can find a verse to support honestly any belief you ever had. So I was like, okay, this is just a personal stance on what do I think? Yeah, for sure. Because I, I think even now, I don't know. I just think all the time, like, and I read like parables about Jesus and like what he did and how he acted. I'm like, feels very liberal vibes to me. Like I see a lot of the like flipping of tables and things and just so many, like how he spoke to tax collectors. Like there's just a ton of stuff that I'm like, I, I'm, but to your point, like you can find both sides. And I don't know. I think at the end of the day, that's why for me, I'm like, this is why church and state are supposed to be separated because you actually can be a Christian and you can vote in either direction. And the two are not supposed to necessarily be tied up together. And like, I just also think there's a separation, like what I believe is right and wrong and like how I think a government should be run. Like those, they're just not supposed to be so intertwined, but like we have made it (laughs) that way. So it's a very weird it's muddy it's for sure um well I want to get into one more topic with you when were you involved with plexus like was that while you were in DC or how did you get involved there um let's see yes I was definitely in DC um I don't know maybe like four not even four years no one or two years into living there was when I got into it and like totally did not get into it for it to be a business I was like needed I was like looking for answers with like some health stuff and I had seen some things about plexus that were like intriguing and maybe they could help me out and I like tried it and did help with my health stuff and then I genuinely like got into the like quote-unquote business with this lens of like, like, I want to help other people. Like I was suffering so much and this genuinely helped me so much. And like, what if this is the answer? Like, again, back to wanting to believe that like one thing is right. Like that part of me is not left. (laughs) Um, but like, I was like, this is the answer to everyone's problems. Um, and so, yeah, then I got into the, like distributing it, selling it. I don't know with a genuine desire to help people, which then turned into i uh, I'm going to become financially free and quit my job and work from home and be a boss babe and all of the things that come with being in an MLM. <laughs> did you do that? Did you quit your job and kind of go for it? I did not. Um, but not for lack of trying. Um, I really genuinely believed that I was going to, and I have to credit myself. I worked my butt off at Plexus. I think I was, well, I know I was an ambassador, as they called them, for six years, I think. Maybe seven. I actually just cut it off like uh, a few months ago, officially, just because it was like a whole thing to get out of it. But anyway, yeah, it's probably six years that I was like actively doing it. And I think the biggest check I ever made was like, $1,100, $1,200, which was not bad. Like I paid for a cruise, like, you know, like that was great, but it was not like quit your job money. And I mean, I like dedicated like an hour or two every night after my day job. And like, I was committed. (laughs) So what was the crash for you where you decided 
okay, I'm out. I'm done with this. Like what happened and what led up to that? Again, maybe like a slow burn situation. I don't know if there was one single aha moment. I had a lot of people in my life close to me who were kind of two camps of people, actually people who uh, were definitely skeptical, but like trying to be supportive because they loved me. And then people who were <laughs> loved me and were like, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is dumb. Um, and I, well, in the MLM world, you call those people haters and you don't listen to them. <laughs> you will not reach your dreams if you don't block out the haters. And I was just determined as ever. And so that's what I did. But I don't know. I think over time, just hearing people who were in my life, who I trusted and like trusted them from, you know, from a financial standpoint, trusted them from like a good decision-making standpoint. And I was like, if all of these people are saying something. And so I think there was that piece of it. But I also just started... I don't know, noticing things. I hit a point where I was like, first of all, I am working my ass off and like, it's not leading to anything like really that's moving the needle. And like, if I've given this four or five years of my life, which is probably about the time I started to rethink things, then like, maybe this isn't actually going to deliver what people have been promising. And so that's when I started kind of thinking about it. And then once I finally like took that step back and like gave myself the opportunity to like possibly think that there could be another perspective that's when these little like bits and pieces started sort of coming together to form a full puzzle where I was like oh like it wasn't until I like sort of let myself sort of take those blinders off that I was like there are some holes in this messaging So who was giving you the messaging? Like, did you just have one manager that was kind of telling you all of this? Or did you get like a booklet or some seminars that were telling you these these messages to stick with it and the haters and everything? A little bit of everything. A unique thing I think about MLM specifically is that everything catches like wildfire. There are like the way the tiers are set up is there's like the head of the company. Like we had a CEO of like of Plexus and like, there's like the actual like corporate side of it. And then you have all of these like leaders who have made it up to higher tiers within the company as like ambassadors or whatever each company calls them. And it's like, if one leader reads a book and they recommend it to their team and it does really well and it just lights a fire under their ass and they see huge success and whatever then they like tell all the other leaders and then those leaders tell their teams it's it's pretty wild how quickly things can spread i actually really credit emma mlms to the rise of rachel hollis which is a whole nother topic but i like really believe that like the mlm boss babes of the world are what made her famous because was girl she wash in her it face, she wasn't in one but girl wash her face was one of those books that like just sort of spread and then it spread across like uh, multiple companies and then she was getting asked to speak at conferences and I just think she was like right she was in the right world at the right time and I I personally actually think she saw it and like took advantage of it which is like I don't know smart I guess from a business perspective smart, yeah <laughs> I'm like I can't fault her for that yeah but yeah so there was I think a lot of the messaging was just like it just sort of trickled it was like one of those things that just kind of things caught and then they just kept going and I don't know we had uh we probably trainings like we'd get on zoom calls with like our team leaders and they would like tell us new things that were working with 
other leaders and there were conferences and I went to mm, every one of them. <laughs> there were conferences that like everyone could go to. And then there were ones that like you had to earn. Like if you got, if you reached X, Y, and Z sales or whatever, you got invited. And I made a few of those and then went to some of the other ones. And I think it's fair to say that there's some brainwashing that happens there. I mean, it's just this immersive experience of like three or four days and you're getting fed all of this information and you're being pumped up with music and you're with other people and you're all blocking out the haters together. And I don't know, I look back on it. I'm like, it is so embarrassing (laughs) that I was doing that. But like when you're in it, you just, you don't think it's weird. Oh my gosh. I just, I resonate with everything you're saying so much. I mean, I was involved with a mega church in LA that Mm -hmm. was very similar. It's so weird how like a mega church is similar to MLM, but it is. They had kind of drilled in everyone that the more you give, the more you're going to be rewarded. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that's similar with Plexus of like, the more you hustle, the more you're going to get that financial freedom that's promised. Yes, for sure. And that was when I first started to like see the holes in what I was going after was like, I genuinely believe like, I am just not a half-asser. I am like zero to 100. I'm all in or I'm all out in everything in my life, which really requires me to take a lot of steps back these days to be like, wait a second, am I currently getting involved in any cults? Like I, I'm questioning everything (laughs) in my life now because I'm like, I've had people tell me I am susceptible to cults. And so like, I'm just constantly like, okay, let's make sure I'm not dabbling in anything. Um, Yeah. So I was like, I just, I was all in. If they said this will lead to success. And a lot of people said like, if you don't go to the annual convention, you'll never make diamond, which is like the top tier. And so I just believed it. And I was like, I have to be at convention. Like, never mind that I'm putting this on my credit card and I don't know when I'll pay it off. And like, we're going to Vegas and we're staying in the Vegas hotels. And like, we have to eat out all week. And like, there was no, none of this is covered. And I don't know. I just really believed it. And so that's when I first started like questioning it. I was like, if there's anybody in this company who has given in their all, it is me. And I have not seen the needle move. And when I looked at the people who were diamonds, I'm like, okay, so you were like the popular girl in school. You went, you know, you live in like a huge ass city in Texas. You were like, the homecoming queen and we're in a sorority and like, not that any of those things are bad, but it was just like, you were uber connected before this. So like in an MLM, a huge piece of it is like, who, you know, your personality. I'm like, I was an introvert. I didn't want to bug people by asking them to buy things. I got in it because I like cared about people, not because I wanted to make money. And so like, at the end of the day, there was no lack of hustle on my part. I was doing everything on the check- checklist that everyone was telling me to do. And I wasn't getting any closer to diamond. And I was like, wait a second. I just don't think that this is just like, and they always said, everyone has the same opportunity. Everyone has the same 24 hours in the day. This is an incredible compensation plan. Everybody can do this. And like, I believe in theory that like anybody can do it like on paper, but like, there's also a lot of loopholes. There's like a lot of asterisks by the, like, anybody can do this. So yeah, that was a big piece of it for me was I was like, uh, I went all in. And I am not making six figures a month. (laughs) 
No. Yeah. Everybody is starting at a different, a completely different launching point. No, I, I totally relate to being all in <laughs> to stuff um, and just having to check myself and be like, okay, am I, am I in any cults? I love that that self-reflection <laughs> question. Am I in any cults? Right now? <laughs> I, you know. I look at like my extreme love for like, I love women's soccer and I like national women's soccer. And I'm like, Am I getting like a little culty with this? Like, do I love it? Too? Like, yeah. I literally, like all of these kinds of things that if I become like a super fit, like, am I becoming culty about my love for gardening and growing? Like, okay, that's not a cult, but like, but still, like, it's I am so like susceptible to like wanting to be a part of something bigger, like wanting to belong, and I don't. That's another thing that I saw in Plexus was that like I felt like it not that anybody told us to prey on these people, but I feel like it preyed on people who were searching for belonging or really in a financial rut or whatever. Like you could promise various things. And it was like, if somebody is like barely making it pay to paycheck to paycheck, they do not need to spend money signing up for an MLM because you do have to spend money to make money. And that's not sound financial advice. So why? And even the like belonging piece, I have one friend, true, like one true friend. I talk to her almost every day that I made in Plexus and we're still friends, but everybody else, for the most part, who is, I mean, I'm like, I still have some people who are like acquaintances, but there were a lot of people who were like, you get so many friends when you join Plexus. And I'm like, well, we're not friends anymore because we're not on a team anymore. And I'm like, so even that like promise of belonging it's all built on like conditions and like, you know, mm. I'm in the terms of all of that. I am not, it's really not like soul crushing for me, but I'm like the people who were really got in it because they were just creating friendships. It is some kind of awful, you know? It really is. Yeah. There must be some cult handbook that everyone looks at because seriously, like everything you're saying, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because first of all, the people at the church who had a big following on Instagram and who were physically beautiful, yeah. they would like walk right in and become elevated. And that was such bullshit because they kept saying like, oh, you know, one day, like if y'all work really hard then you'll get to do announcements on stage or something stupid but then these people would just have like a million followers on instagram and they'd be like um want to do announcements <laughs> you know there were just so many holes like that and then also the mentality the idea of this is your home like welcome home like this is your family is your family and then as soon as i don't go there anymore and as soon as i left the church it was like just totally dropped i mean i do have a couple friends who who still go there and, and we're still friends and i love them very much um but everybody else i mean it was like 60 to zero <laughs> but yeah it is so common unfortunately in mlms like these mega churches i don't know like it's really common it's, it's really common and it's weird how they're like a church and an mlm are very different things but they have such very distinct commonalities i've also this is kind of random but been watching the uh we crashed show about we work on yes i watched that and i'm like yes. which add it to the list of cults i tried so hard to work at we work <laughs> yeah i had like 
three interviews with WeWork and was like desperate to work. And there was like just never the right position. It was also literally like months before the IPO shit show. So I'm like, I actually just dodged a bullet, but it was the same feeling of like belonging and like, yes, we're going to do this together and hustle culture. And it's like, all it was all the same things. And I don't know, I've been watching that. And like, I didn't even realize that like WeWork probably was like a cult in and of itself that definitely had like cultish aspects to it. But um, yeah, I've been watching that too and thinking like how their whole thing was like, we, like it was like togetherness, like it's community. And I'm like, that's what I think is so like truly sinister about cults is that like, I think this like desire for belonging is like an innate human thing. Like we all want to like belong, like the queen Brene Brown has written tons and tons of things about it. And there's like research behind it. And I'm like, that's what feels so like awful about it to me is that whether it's intentional or not, and I believe most times it is, what an awful thing for people to want to find that sense of community and then to take advantage of that thing in people. And I think a lot of times, like, for sure, I think this affects I don't look back on like the team that I was on or the people that I joined and think that they had these like awful intentions. I don't think they had awful intentions at all. And I don't think that they tried to like rope me into this because they saw me as like somebody that they could convince to come into their cult. But I think that it was like that, the messaging from the top. And I don't, you know, I don't know if it's intentional at the very root of it, but I do think someone somewhere figured out like these various messages will speak to the human psychology of people. And this is how we get people in to make us money. And so I don't know. I just, I don't think that everyone in an MLM or everyone in a mega church or everybody at WeWork or wherever is like this horrible, awful person, which has made it hard for me to talk about. Like I haven't talked a lot about my like exit from Plexus because I don't want to like offend people and I don't want to hurt people. And I definitely don't want to shame people because I don't think that a lot of it was like rooted in anything bad. But when I look back at the experience, I'm like, whoa, what a brainwashing that was. Totally. It's so tricky because yeah, I mean, obviously there's currently people who are involved in all of this. And when I was in it, if someone had said anything negative or anything that was questioning where I was at, I would have immediately just been super defensive and been like, you don't understand. You're on the mm-hmm. outside. You're not in your hater. Yeah. Right. And, and so, but yeah, you're totally right. It's like, I, I think most people in those organizations have no idea. It's, it's mainly coming from pure yeah. intentions. I really think most everyone in it, it's coming from pure intentions. It, it really is just one or two, five or six. I don't know. People at the top of the top mm-hmm. of the top that have to know what the heck they're doing. I mean, watching that WeWork is really eye-opening because watching Adam... Mm-hmm. He doesn't give a shit about anyone but himself. (laughs) Like that is clear. But then like, let's just say a WeWork manager is recruiting you for the job. Like the WeWork manager probably just like really loves it. And like says, Hey, we have kombucha on tap. It's so much fun. You're going to love it. Like I've made all my friends here. Like they have no idea what's going on. And neither did I, when I was in it, like I had no idea what the heck was Mm -hmm. going on. And I think unfortunately, 
it's almost impossible to put all the pieces together until you're out of it. And it's like, there are things that do slowly start to question, you know, we start to question when we're in it, but then being out of it, it's like brick by brick, taking it apart and realizing what just happened. What just happened to me? Like, I don't even know. And then during it, it wasn't like I was miserable. Yeah. It is just like, most people are having a good time and believe in what they're selling or what they're going to do. And that's, that's why it's so confusing. It's like, there's still so many lessons that stick with me today for the positive, but overall it's like, Oh, that was not so good. I'm saying I can see like things that I've learned through it. I mean, for one, I've learned that I need to ask a lot more questions and like listen to people around, like if majority of people around you are saying something, like there might be a reason, but I do think it gets built into like cults, culture <laughs> that like, I mean, I don't know, similar to religion in a lot of ways that like you can't, you know, don't, you've got to block out those outside perspectives because they're not in it and they don't get it. And like there becomes, I think the deeper you get into it, almost a level of like superiority complex of like, I know something the rest of the world doesn't know. Like I just, uh, every day, my favorite hobby is to go through my Facebook, uh, like on this day memories and see like what bullshit I was posting of like, oh, like you're just going to be in your nine to five until the day you die. And like, you're never going to be financially free and you're going to be owned by this like corporate hamster wheel. And I'm like, I was working after my nine to five. I was in the hamster wheel. Like, I was not financially free and I was working way more hours. And at the end of the day, an MLM is still a corporate company. And it's actually just a stupid setup because like I was working my butt off to make money for these people at the top. Like, I don't know, but you're not actually working for yourself yourself at all. And also like a true, I don't know. Now I actually work for a startup in a small business and I'm like, oh my gosh, how insulting that I used to say like I had a small business because like I did not do anything that actually grow goes into growing a small business. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of that, like the way that a cult works is meant to keep outside perspectives out. And it's meant to make you think that you have found the secret to life in whatever way that it is and whatever the area of the cult is, but uh, it's all, I don't know. I'm very thankful that I'm out of it because I look at it and see how I could have just continue to get in deeper and deeper and not <laughs> find my way out. So I think that's why I also continue to question everything. Cause I'm like, I don't want to have to get out of something like that again. Cause it also came with complicated feelings to leave. I was like, there were people that I genuinely cared for. And like, I did make some money off of it. And I did see people actually like being helped by the products. Like I don't buy them anymore, but like, it's not like I think that like those multivitamins like stopped working like they did, Uh, you know, but it's just, so it was a, it was a whole nother deconstruction that I had to put myself through of like, two things can be true. Like this was bad and it was good. And like, it was helpful to me and it was harmful to me. Like, you know, there's a lot of duality in it. 
That's that's also something that I've started to try and be more comfortable with, just welcoming a space of paradox. This was one of the greatest times in my life and the worst times of my life at the same time. I don't quite know how that is possible, but it just is true. Mm-hmm. That's that's true. It's just both of them exist at the same time. And it's so important to, to recognize that. I mean, I think most things are nuanced. Most things yeah. have a lot of complexity and it does have a lot, a lot of things have a lot of layers and it's a really healthy perspective to just be able to look back and say, you know what, that worship song freaking slaps. I love it. <laughs> Even though it came out of that place. Like, yeah. So, um, yeah, well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on. Um, seriously, Katie, this is so much fun to talk to you. And um, I feel like we're kindred spirits. I do too. I always think it's funny that like we grew up together and then we did not talk for like the longest time, but like, here we are, we've been on our separate but very similar journeys on literally opposite coasts and now that's true we're here I don't even know really what we connected over how we started talking again or like what led here it's kind of like how I don't know when we first met in the first place but um you know that I think we just keep finding each other so I'm here for it (laughs) for sure well I hope you have a great rest of your night